Welcome to Getting Credit, a podcast focusing on financial markets, corporate credit, and timely insights from Pacific Funds. Here's your host, Dominic Nolan, CEO of Pacific Asset Management, the sub-advisor for the Pacific Funds Fixed Income Strategies. Hello, and thank you for tuning into number 29. Over the next 10 minutes, we'll go over some market action in October, a little on the Fed tapering, and more importantly, the effects of the supply chains and their effect on the economy and some spending trends, as well as cover some opportunities in fixed income. Let's begin. Let's cover October market action briefly. Overall, very good month. S&P 500 was up 7% and the Russell 1000 growth was up actually over 8%. My opinion, it was a post-Delta variant rebound for equities. Meanwhile, fixed income was flat. At the crux of this is the corporate story, and in particular, earnings. As I record, over half of the S&P 500 companies have now reported earnings, and they're up around 40% year over year. And this growth was pretty widespread from a sector standpoint, with energy earnings up significantly more. When you look over the next 12 months, estimates are in the 220 range on a forward earnings per share base of the S&P. So when you look at that, it means the P.E. ratio is around 20 at current levels. And given where treasury rates are, that is not absurdly high. And it might be, although it might be higher than most people would want, earnings have backed it up. Let's talk a little bit about margins, given the narrative you're hearing on inflation and from companies. Broadly, margins are above where they've been for much of the past decade. Now, that may be tough to maintain given cost pressures induced by supply chains and the cost of labor, but right now, company earnings are very good and margins are very good. With the economy now opening up post-Delta, Ford earnings are not absurd and the Federal Reserve is still accommodative, so let's keep that in mind. Let's jump a little bit to the Fed. The Fed recently announced its tapering program, but emphasized that the need for higher interest rates would be determined separately. In a nutshell, I think the Fed has offered no hawkish surprises, which is critical for the market. I mean, the market knows liquidity has been extremely important for this economy. And now with demand where it is, there's probably a large swath of folks that believe the economy can be self-sustaining. It'll probably take a year or two to find out, so we'll see. As for tapering, the Fed has been purchasing about $120 billion in bonds per month, which is about $80 billion in treasuries and $40 billion in mortgage-backed securities. That's expected to decline at a rate of $15 billion per month. So in theory, November will be $105 billion purchased, December $90 billion, and so forth. Essentially means a nine-month process to get it to where there's no more quantitative easing. So there is a debate whether tapering will take as long as nine months. City, which is a pretty aggressive, has a pretty aggressive forecast on the Fed, believes that tapering will actually occur at a rate of 30 billion per month. And there may not be any time between tapering and the hiking of interest rates. And City is forecasting right now three rate hikes in 22. Now that is very aggressive. To me, the reality is if there's any economic hiccup, another wave, the Fed may pause tapering or reduce tapering, and they may extend out rate hikes into 23. But right now, base case is a nine-month tapering that ends essentially the middle of next year and rate hikes to begin 
in the second half of 22. Now I want to discuss briefly what's really affecting markets and the economy, and that is the broken supply chains. And that's happening up and down the supply chain stack. But in particular, I mean, ships are coming in loaded with cargo and they really can't, can't get it offloaded. So according to a survey by Evercore ISI, 97% of the companies responded saying supply chain constraints are an issue. And that pain is being felt across sectors. On a consumer-based standpoint, the biggest constraints were listed as shipping and port logistics, followed by ground transportation. Looking through at real estate, the biggest supply constraints were about labor availability and raw material availability. And then industrial companies responded by saying the number one area of constraint within the supply chain was by far shipping logistics. And that's really anchored by clogged ports. Now, there are other factors at play that have caused this bottleneck, but even when the container ships are unloaded, it's actually difficult to find space to store the containers. Anecdotally, in Southern California, there's about 2 billion square feet of warehousing. And right now that's being overloaded. And that means only about a third of the cargo ships, cargo can find storage here. And to make matters worse, there's a significant shortage of truckers, about 80,000 according to the American Trucking Association. So at this point, the math is simple. If supply cannot keep up with demand, this results in inflation and a suboptimal economy. The fix, however, I'm afraid will be complicated. So last month, for instance, the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach, two, you know, a major, major logistics point in the Western US, under pressure from the administration, opened up to a 24-hour day cycle. And they've also started fining ships for containers that aren't being offloaded. But as noted earlier, there's still no place to put the containers and not enough truckers to haul them away. So this bottleneck is through the entire logistics stack. And of course, when you look back, the federal government has actually invested in the East Coast and Gulf ports by a ratio of 10 to 1 relative to the West Coast ports. We're certainly seeing that lack of investment affect the West Coast logistics. Now, how are the supply chains changing consumer behavior? Well, one, you're seeing consumers buy things earlier, in particular, holiday shopping is being done earlier, and certain industries are making pivots, and in particular, the auto industry is incentivizing its client base or customers to go online earlier. And I think you're seeing what could be a disintermediation of, of the role of many auto dealers. So how's this playing out in various sectors? And again, we'll use Bank of America's daily credit card data. Spending in October was up more than 16% year over year and up over 20% from two years ago. When you drill down, lodging spending relative to two years ago was up 16%, restaurants up 20%, gas up 20%. Airline spend, which was negative for much of 2019 and 20, is only down 2% now, and you are seeing the impacts of holiday, holiday travel come into play. I would say the sector that stood out to me was entertainment spending. And that's where you really see patterns of behavior shifting based on, I think, regulations. So compared to two years ago, Texas was up 20% in entertainment spend, Georgia up 50%, North Carolina up a whopping 70%. Meanwhile, New York, California, Illinois up five to 6%. Again, I think in most of the red states, 
say they're generally more relaxed with COVID restrictions compared to the blue states. And we are seeing that disparity in entertainment spend where we're not seeing that disparity when I talked about the other sectors. So given everything we've discussed, where's the opportunity in fixed income? I'll reiterate what I've said for most of the year, the inflation picture remains uncertain. I would say the inflation pressures are increasing. The Fed is now tapering and their expectations of a rate liftoff next year. At the same time, companies are doing well and the economy is in solid footing. So given that short duration credit still feels like a safe place to be, over the past month in fixed income, the strongest performer were floating rate loans. Over the past three months, the strongest performer were floating rate loans. And year to date, strongest performer were floating rate loans. I don't see that changing anytime soon. And in particular, when you adjust for the risk. And on a personal thought, this one has to do with stress. I think it's something that affects a lot of us. I think it's important to remember that stress is a choice. And so many times I, I do hear people say, my boss is stressing me out. The holidays are stressing me out. Work is stressing me out. But they aren't really stressing you out. You're allowing yourself to be stressed out. And it's a choice to be stressed and not something that has to be done. I have really tried to keep that in mind. So as we head into the holiday season, there's going to be plenty of opportunities to be stressed. But I think it's important to find something, whether it's walking, exercising, reading, deep breaths, meditating, whatever it is to help you relieve that. And just remember, it's a choice. I'll leave you with that. Thank you and stay tuned. The S&P 500 index is a market capitalization weighted index of 500 widely held stocks often used as a proxy for the U.S. stock market. The Russell 1000 growth index measures the performance of the large cap growth segment of the U.S. equity universe. It includes those Russell 1000 companies with the higher price to value ratios and higher forecasted growth values. Earnings per share is a company's profit divided by the number of outstanding shares of its common stock. The price to earnings ratio is the ratio for valuing a company that measures its current share price relative to its earnings per share. A short duration strategy is one where a fixed income or bond investor is focused on buying bonds with a small duration. All investing involves risk, including the possible loss of the principal amount invested. The views in this commentary are as of November 16th, 2021 and are presented for informational purposes only. These views should not be construed as investment advice and endorsement of any security, mutual fund, sector, or index, or to predict performance of any investment. The opinions expressed herein are subject to change without notice as market and other conditions warrant. Any performance data quoted represents past performance, which does not guarantee future results. Any forward-looking statements are not guaranteed. All material is compiled from sources believed to be reliable, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. Investors should consider a fund's investment goal, risks, charges, and expenses carefully before investing. The prospectus and or the summary prospectus contains this and other information and should be read carefully before investing. The prospectus can be obtained by visiting pacificfunds.com. 
Holdings are subject to change at any time. Please visit PacificFunds.com for a current list of fund holdings. Sector names in this commentary are provided by the funds, portfolio managers, and could be different if provided by a third party. Pacific Funds are distributed by Pacific Select Distributors, LLC, member FINRA, and SIPC, a subsidiary of Pacific Life Insurance Company, Newport Beach, California, and are available through licensed third party.